0: This is the One Verse Podcast, where we liberate scripture from religion, one verse at a time. Well, hello, and thank you for listening to the One Verse Podcast. I'm your teacher for this podcast, Jeremy Myers. We've got an exciting topic for you today, election No, we're not talking about the political election. We're talking about divine election. Okay, maybe not quite as exciting as talking about the political election, but exciting nevertheless, right? And the reason is because the topic of divine election might be one of the most controversial topics in the Bible. Uh, Traditionally, the debate has been about whether or not God has decided from eternity past who to send to heaven and who to send to hell right who gets eternal life and who does not and there's been a debate that has raged about that over the centuries i'm going to solve that debate for you no <laughs> i'm actually not uh, but what i am going to do is provide you a brief introduction to how to understand romans chapter 9 this is where most of the controversial controversy is about and so if you understand romans 9 then you will also likely understand much of the rest of what the Bible teaches about divine election. So that's today's podcast episode. I want to let you know as well that I've written a book on this topic and especially one that focuses on Romans 9 itself. All right, the book is called The Rejustification of God and it looks at Romans 9 10 through 24. And it's uh, it's only it's not super long. It could have been a whole lot longer, but I wanted to make it readable and accessible to you. Now, if you go to Amazon and you look for the re-justification of God, make sure you're getting mine and not that from John Piper, who wrote a book called The Justification of God. And in fact, if you can conf- compare my cover with his cover, you're going to see some surprising similarities. <laughs> Just go to Amazon and uh, you look at look at those two books and you'll see what I mean. Now, if you want to know why I did what I did with my cover, and why I titled it, and why it has such a horribly boring cover, there's a Look Inside feature on Amazon. I, I hope you know what that is. It's those little two words at the top that say Look Inside. You press that and you can read the preface and the author's note, even the, the great foreword in there by Sean Lazar, who's also written a great book on election called Chosen to Serve. And Anyway, in the preface, I explain why I titled my book the way it does, why it has such a horrible cover, uh, but most importantly, you'll be able to go on and understand what Paul means in Romans nine, ten 10-24 when he talks about election. However, I'm going to share that with you in today's podcast episode as well, so without further ado, let's just dive right in, okay? So here are the texts... From Romans 9 that we briefly want to consider today. And um, I don't know if I, I guess I should just read you some of these. First is this text about um, the children of Rebekah and Isaac, Jacob and Esau. Okay. And so Paul writes this in Romans 9, 1 through 12. Well, I can't read the whole verse. Let's just read a few. He says, not only this, but when Rebecca also had conceived by one man, even by our father, Isaac, For the children, not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purposes of God, according to election, might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. It is said to her, the older shall serve the younger. And then he goes on to say, quote this passage about... And um, Jacob I have loved, and Esau I have hated, and so on. Of course, then there's this passage about Pharaoh hardening his heart and God hardening Pharaoh's heart. Similar idea goes on to talk about the potter and the clay. Doesn't God, as the potter, have the right to do whatever he wants with the clay? Make one vessel for honor, another for dishonor? Okay, you've heard these passages before. Now, before we dive into Romans chapter nine, it is very, very important to understand the overall theme of the book of Romans. Uh, The context of Romans chapter nine. What's the five rules of Bible study? One, context, two, context, three, context, four, context, and five, context. (laughs) So uh, to understand Romans nine, we need to know the context of Romans nine. Romans nine is found obviously in the book of Romans. What is the book of Romans about? Well, lots of people think, well, the book of Romans is about how to be justified. Well, that is a theme. In certain chapters of Romans, specifically four and five, chapters four and five, but that is not the theme of the whole book of Romans. Some people say, well, the theme is about the righteousness of God. That's in fact what I was taught in Bible college and seminary. That's closer to the truth. And yet the problem is most summaries of Romans that deal only with the righteousness of God really don't know what to do with Romans 9, 10, and 11. Okay? Uh, it doesn't fit with the theme righteousness of God. So let me propose something different. Paul himself tells us at the very beginning of this letter what he is going to write about. And it's in Romans 1, 16-17. Paul is going to write the gospel that saves believers and unbelievers alike. And okay, now again, when you hear that word saves, hopefully you've been listening to this podcast for a while. You are well trained to know That when you hear the word saves in the Bible, do not think, escape hell, get forgiveness of sin so you can go to heaven when you die. That is not what the word saves means in the Bible. Okay, the word saves means delivered, deliverance, something like that. And you need to look into the context, again, five rules of Bible study, context. You need to look into the context to find what kind of deliverance Is in view. Okay. And when we do that in the book of Romans, we discover that when Paul in Romans is talking about being saved, he's not talking about going to heaven when you die. He's talking about escaping wrath. Now, this is controversial as well because when people read about the word wrath, they think hell. And so when they think hell, when they see the word wrath, then they think, oh, so the word saved in Romans is about escaping hell, going to heaven when you die. No, here again, context, 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 context. You look at the word wrath in Romans, and the word, Paul is basically understanding the word wrath, defining the word wrath as the devastating and destructive consequences of sin primarily in this life. Okay? Wrath is is the devastating and destructive consequences of sin in this life. By the way, I will be explaining all of this a lot more in my online course, The Gospel Dictionary. It looks at 52 keywords of the gospel. The word saved is one of those. So is the word wrath, okay? So if you want to learn more about this, that's what I'm referring to. Anyway, so Paul is saying... I'm going to write a letter to you Romans about how to be saved from wrath, delivered from the devastating and destructive consequences of sin in your life now. The book of Romans is not primarily about how to escape hell, get forgiveness of sin, so you can go to heaven when you die. It does contain some of that truth, especially in Romans 4 and 5. But the rest of the book and all of the book, in fact, even those chapters of Romans 4 and 5, are about how to be delivered from the temporal and destructive physical, this life, this worldly consequences of sin. Okay? And as we'll see, Romans 9 fits perfectly within that theme. Let me just give you a quick, brief overview of Romans. Up to this point— uh, Paul has been arguing that sin is a universal human problem. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? This is the main point of Romans 1, 2, and 3. Everybody's a sinner, okay? We all are quite familiar with those three chapters. Then in in, uh, chapters 4 and 5, Paul says that even though we're all sinners, God has a divine purpose, a significance for all believers— So, that if we live in light of our justification, if we believe in Jesus for justification, for a righteousness of God, there's those themes in Romans 4 and 5. Okay, but it doesn't stop there. Notice Paul goes on and says, and live in light of that justification. In other words, live sanctified lives by faith, Romans 6 and 7. Then God will bless us and work with us to accomplish his will on earth, Romans 8. To the ends of the earth, even. Notice, it's on earth. All right? Now, in the last part of Romans 8, Paul sets out to encourage his readers that nothing can separate them. Neither height, nor depth, nor anything above, below. Okay? Nothing can separate you from the love of God. That God has a purpose for you, and nothing can stop it from happening. Nothing can separate you from God's love in this regard. From God accomplishing his purposes. All right? That's right there at the end, Romans 8, 28 to 39. Now, there's a problem with that, though, right? If you know your Bibles, there's a problem with Paul's point, All right? Paul has just said nothing can get in the way of God, of of separating you from God's purpose for your life in this life here and now. God has, he has a, 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 he wants you to live a certain way and live a life of significance and purpose and joy and satisfaction, fulfillment, and nothing's going to get in the way of that. Except people who know their Bibles are going to raise their hand and say, but Paul, Paul, what about Israel? Didn't God have a plan for them, a purpose for them, a role for them? Didn't God raise them up, choose them, make them his elect nation so that so that they could fulfill his purpose and, and, and live, be a country of significance, a nation that points people to God? Didn't isn't that what God did with Israel? And yet God set them aside, at least it sure looks like he did. And so if God's purposes failed with Israel, then how can you say, Paul, that God's purposes won't fail for us? For me, for you, for the church? That's the question that is in everybody's mind at the end of Romans chapter 8. Paul, you say God's purposes can't fail? Well, they failed for Israel. If that's true, then why can't they fail for us? And Romans 9, 10, and 11 is Paul's answer to that question. And basically, in these three chapters, Paul explains that God's purposes for Israel did not fail. And in fact, for the most part, Israel herself didn't fail. Lots of people think, oh, well, Israel failed, so God's purpose failed. Paul points out in these chapters, no, Israel did not fail, for the most part. Uh, they had some drawbacks and didn't quite uh, scratch off all, you know, dot all the uh, T's and, and dot all the I's. Cross all the T's, dot all the I's. Uh, but overall, Israel did fulfill her, her purpose, and uh, God's purpose for them did not fail. So, anyway, let's let's dive into Romans 9, and I'm going to try to show this to you in a little more detail, okay? Romans 9, let's just talk about this Jacob and Esau section that Paul starts off with. In the first part of Romans 9, he uses these biblical examples. Uh, God's elect uh, election of people and groups is to service. Uh, this goes back into last week's study where I introduced to you the topic of election. And I want I pointed out, and we looked at multiple passages, not just one verse, like I usually do in this podcast, but multiple verses showing you that election is not to eternal life, election is to service. Okay, and uh, that's the common theme all over the place in Bible, in in, the, in Scripture, and it's also true here in Romans nine. So the first example that Paul uses to show this truth is Jacob and Esau, and notice it's very important to note that both Jacob and Esau are elect. They were elected. They were chosen. By God, Lots of people, when they teach this or read this passage, they assume that only Jacob was chosen by God. And Esau wasn't. After all, you know, Jacob I've loved, Esau I've hated. Oh, well, that means that uh, Jacob has eternal life. Esau is condemned to eternal death, eternal damnation, you know, because God elected Jacob and did not elect Esau. No. Paul's very clear. Both Jacob and Esau were chosen by God. Uh, it's just that God chose Esau right, there it is, the older brother to serve the younger, all right? So they were both chosen, but for different purposes. Again, election is to service. People get very, very confused and worried about this, but all the problems go away. In fact, the entire debate dissolves when you just understand that election is to service, okay? And Paul's first illustration points this out perfectly, all right? Esau was chosen, elect, to serve the younger, to serve Jacob. It's not about that Esau is elected, you know, double predestination here or something where God foreordains who goes to heaven. who. It's not even the topic. This is about service here. And by the way, he goes on to talk about not just Jacob and Esau, but also Israel and Edom. All right. And, and so, again, if we're thinking here that Paul is talking about eternal life, then you would have to assume that again. I've heard some people sort of teach this, but nobody really goes here—that all Israelites are going to have eternal life and all Edomites are condemned forever. But, again, Paul says that Esau was chosen. So if you're going to say that election is to eternal life, then what you actually have to say is that all Edomites and their descendants have eternal life. Well, that's ridiculous. Okay, It's not true of Israel— <laughs> Uh, then or now, or in any time in history, and it's also not true of the Edomites. There are some among the Israelites who have eternal life, and there are some, are they even Edomites today? I don't know. We'll say there were some among the Edomites who had eternal life, undoubtedly. But Paul is not concerned about that at all. He's talking about service, first of individuals and then of countries. Someone asked uh, last week about whether I believe election is individual or corporate. I believe it's both. God can choose an individual to serve him in a certain way, and God can choose a nation or a group or a community to serve him in a certain way. And we see both ideas in this first illustration of Paul in Romans chapter 9, okay? Election is not to eternal life, it is to service. This passage is not about eternal destinies, not for Jacob, not for Esau, not for Israel, not for Edom. Not for you and me. It's about service. Okay, that's the first illustration. Move on to this this whole idea of hardening Pharaoh's heart. Right, the same truth can be applied to this text, and uh, the way Paul structures his argument in Romans nine, this is verses fourteen through eighteen. Paul indicates that once again, Pharaoh, like Esau, was chosen <laughs> or elected by God, but this says nothing whatsoever about Pharaoh's eternal destiny. Listen, never read in to Romans chapter 9 that Pharaoh ended up in hell. The text does not say that at all. It says that God raised up Pharaoh. That sounds an awful lot like elected, chosen, right? And it is. It's a synonym. It's a similar concept or idea. God raised up Pharaoh. And what did he do? He solidified, hardened the proud and stubborn rebellion that was in Pharaoh's heart. Why? So that those who witnessed and heard what happened to Pharaoh, what happened to the greatest empire on earth at that time, the Egyptian uh, empire, they would hear that God of Israel was the only God. Pharaoh wasn't God. None of their other deities. That's what the 10 plagues are all about. None of them were God's. God alone was God and he alone would get the glory. Now, notice once again, this has nothing whatsoever to do with where Pharaoh goes after he dies. Think about it. Could not God, in his gracious sovereignty, harden Pharaoh's heart and allow Pharaoh to take a route that would that would ruin his country, ruin his military, so that God could get glory from it? While still allowing Pharaoh to become part of God's redeemed family, I mean, why not? Of course God could do that. The hardening of Pharaoh's heart has nothing. And by the way, did God harden Pharaoh's heart? Did Pharaoh harden Pharaoh's heart? Who hardened Pharaoh's heart first? It, none of it really matters. Okay? I don't really care who hardened whose heart first. And you know, none of that matters. The point is... Okay? It's some combination of the two, and I'll leave that up to you to decide. But regardless, either way, it has nothing whatsoever to do with Pharaoh's eternal destiny. And so, you know, we don't have to feel like there's some unfair treatment of God here. And we're going to get to that with, with Paul's third illustration here. On, I'm sorry, unfair treatment of Pharaoh by God. We're going to get to that here. Okay. The point is, Pharaoh was hard. He was stubborn. God used that, made it harder and more stubborn so that God could be glorified. And maybe... Maybe. What do you think? Is it possible that as Pharaoh sees his army die, drown under the Red Sea, or if you think it's the Reed Sea, whatever? Again, I don't care about any of that debate. (laughs) That maybe he realized, boy, you know what? The God of Israel truly is the one true God. Moses and Aaron were right. Maybe he repented. Maybe he believed. Maybe when you and I end up in heaven at some point, maybe Pharaoh will be there. Isn't it possible? Why not? The text doesn't say one way or the other. I'm not saying it does. Okay? But isn't it possible? Sure is. And that would be just like the gracious nature of God to even further glorify himself through Pharaoh in this way as well. So, Anyway, that is uh, the second illustration. It has nothing whatsoever to do, just like every other text in the Bible about election, nothing whatsoever to do with who goes to heaven and who goes to hell, okay? God elected Pharaoh to accomplish a certain purpose, to serve a certain role in this life, which brings honor and glory to God. Okay, let's move on. Time is moving fast. Potter and the clay. I think you're getting the idea here. Now, the difficulty with Romans 9, 22 through 24, whole potter in the clay passage, is in the translation. There are so many translation problems. Just pull up a few different Bible translations and see how differently they translate Romans 9, 22 through 24. So I don't have time to get into all of that. I cover some of them in my book, The Rejustification of God. And basically, what I finally come down with is, is here's sort of a proposed or suggested translation for this text, okay? Here it is. And I know it's sort of hard to get by audio if you're listening to this, Uh, but again, you probably just go to my website. You can find the manuscript for this study at redeeminggod.com. What is uh, Romans... Uh, now I can't remember. Romans 9, election, or election Romans 9, something like that. Anyway, it's also in my book, The Rejustification of God. Okay, uh, and here's the, here's the suggested translation. What if God, wanting to reveal wrath for what it is, and make his power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of dishonor that were headed for destruction, So that he might make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of honor, which is the plan he has prepared beforehand for glory. But he did this not only for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. Okay? When translated or read that way, what the text, what Paul is saying in this text, is that God didn't create two different classes of people, you know, one vessels of honor, one vessels of dishonor. Instead, There are vessels of dishonor on this earth, and we know that. We look around. But God endured them with patience. He didn't just destroy them right away. Oh, you sin to death with you. okay? Instead, he endured them with patience. Why? Yes, to show his honor and his glory to those who are vessels of, of honor. But also, and this is implied, I believe, in the context, but also so that maybe, hopefully, some of those vessels of dishonor could become vessels of honor. You get that? God is long-suffering toward those who are in rebellion. Why? Not so that he can increase their sin and make them suffer forever and worse in hell. No. (laughs) It's so that he can display his grace and mercy to them with the hope that those who are headed for destruction might instead be headed for glory might believe in Jesus and be, be justified and receive the righteousness of God by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, and therefore turn from being vessels of dishonor into vessels of honor. But look, either way, God's creative wisdom, this is Paul's point, God's creative wisdom enables him to use both types of vessels to serve and accomplish his purposes. Okay? The vessels of dishonor continue to be dishonorable, then God will use them for dishonorable purposes. And likewise for the honorable, they get to be used for honorable purposes, which again is an encouragement to us to strive to be an honorable vessel. that <laughs> comes by believing in Jesus for eternal life and then working to follow Jesus by faith. Again, though, the point is this whole concept of the potter and the clay once again has nothing whatsoever to do with eternal destiny, eternal life, who goes to heaven, who goes to hell, nothing like that. It is about the role and function of people and groups in this life. So that's Romans 9, real briefly. Paul believes that election is both corporate and individual. Why? Because election is to service. Election is not to eternal life. Service in this life is what God elects people for. He made this point by pointing to Jacob and Esau. He made this point by talking about the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, God's choice of both honorable and dishonorable vessels to accomplish his purpose of blessing, reconciling, and redeeming the world. All right? Romans 9 is not some strange act of God whereby in eternity past, he decided, you know, right, who gets eternal life and who doesn't by some sovereign eternal decree. No, that is not election. The point of Romans 9 is that God sought to bless the entire world by raising up Israel, all right, to be the elect people. And so, although, and remember, although Israel was elect, it doesn't mean everybody in Israel has eternal life. They're just the elect nation, and there are some in Israel then and now who have eternal life and some that don't, okay? Now, again, I told you that uh, Paul is answering an objection here. So right here, he's just laying out three illustrations. Jacob and Esau, hardening to Pharaoh's heart, honorable vessels, dishonorable vessels. But Paul still wants to answer this objection from Romans chapter 8. Remember, the objection was, yeah, but Paul, you said God's purposes can't be thwarted, can't be stopped. What about Israel? So Paul has sort of laid out this idea where he says, yeah, you know, Israel was chosen. Now, he goes on Romans chapter 10 and Romans chapter 11 to continue answering this objection, okay? So, uh, his, and let me just—I told you we were just primarily looking at Romans chapter 9, but I do want to just sort of continue on, come around full circle, make sure we get this answer to the objection from Romans chapter 8, okay? So, just real briefly, let me sort of summarize Romans 10 and 11 for you as well. All right, so the objection was, yeah, but what about Israel? Okay, <laughs> weren't they separated from God's plan? Right. Weren't they sinful, rebellious, rejected Jesus Christ, all of that rejected their Messiah. And so God rejected them. Right. So if that happened to them, why can't it happen to us, Paul? Why can't it happen to the church? We're elected. We've been chosen by God to perform a certain task, fulfill a certain function, uh, you know, uh, serve him in this world. And if, if, if God set Israel aside, maybe he can set us aside, too. So Paul argues in Romans chapter—we already saw what he argues basically in Romans chapter 9. He's setting the foundation here. Then he goes on in Romans chapter 10, first of all, to point out that this objection is based on a false premise. Paul points out in Romans chapter 10 that Israel did not fail. They actually succeeded. (laughs) And, in fact, they can continue to be elect—God didn't set them aside—they can continue to be elect— By joining with the church, right? Uh, When they believe in Jesus. The church is not just Gentiles and it's not just Jews. It's not racial at all, right? The church is the family of God made up of Jews and Gentiles by anyone who believes in Jesus for eternal life. And so God didn't even technically set aside Israel. (laughs) In fact, He never actually chose the Gentiles. What he did is he raised up the church. He birthed the church in Jesus Christ, and anyone, Jew or Gentile, who believes in Jesus for eternal life, joins the church, becomes part of the family of God, and in that way becomes part of the elect family of God, who is accomplishing God's will and purposes in this earth. It's very, very important we understand what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 10 about this, because this shows us that the church did not replace Israel. <laughs> okay? The church was grafted in to supplement God's plan for the world. All right? Which, by the way, was the plan from the very beginning. God didn't raise up Israel so that it could always and only be Israel. God always wanted Israel to invite the other nations to participate in God's plan. And now that's exactly what God is doing through the, church, through the church, and Israel, like all the other nations, are invited to participate, to join with that, okay? So um, that's sort of Romans chapter 10. Now getting into Romans chapter 11 then, all right? Yes, it's true. Paul goes on to say, most Israel is blinded. Nevertheless, there are some, like Paul himself, who believe in Jesus for eternal life, and so they are part of the church, and therefore they are elected to participate in God's plan and purposes for the world. That's verse 7, Romans 11, 7. Okay, and what now Paul goes on in the following verses to say that a day is coming. Paul's making a prophecy here. Where's he getting this from? From Old Testament prophecy. There are many plans uh, and prophecies and promises of God to Israel that have not yet been fulfilled. And yes, those cannot just be set aside. And Paul is saying here in Romans chapter 11, yeah, some of these still need to be fulfilled, and they will be in the future. How's that going to happen? By many Israelites. Believing in Jesus, recognizing who Jesus is and what He offers, and though many of them in Paul's day and today are antagonistic to the gospel, they're still, in a way, Paul points out, serving a role in God's plan. <laughs> okay, this whole jealousy talk uh, uh, concept in in and and in the text, and also maintaining uh, uh, a scripture and and teaching and carrying on the traditions and all those sorts of things. Okay. And they will also continue, have a significant role in God's plan in the future. Okay, so although they're enemies of the gospel, Paul says in 28, they are beloved regarding election, because they still are serving a vital role, purpose, place, function in God's plan for the world. Again, don't hear me or Paul saying anything about the eternal destiny of Israelites, then, now, or in the future. That's not what Paul is talking about. All right? God's election of Israel and the church, it's not his choice of who gets eternal life and who doesn't. Now, it is true. Everyone who believes in Jesus for eternal life has eternal life, and because they are part of the church, they also join the elect purposes of God, but it doesn't mean that everybody who's elect has eternal life. Again, we talked about that in the previous podcast episode, so go listen to that. All right. Uh, here's sort of the bottom line. Romans 11 is is just making perfect sense once we understand that election is to service. God wants to bless the world through his people. And initially it was Abraham, Isaac, forefathers, the nation of Israel, and inviting, showing the world what the people of God looked like. Israel served their function in helping bring the Messiah into this world, who then created the church and invited all people to Join the church by believing in Jesus for it, so that, not so we can sit around, twiddle our thumbs, wait to heaven, you know, wait till we die so we can go to heaven when we die. No, so that we can continue to serve God's purpose and function for this world now in this life. This whole thing about the branches being cut off and others being grafted in, and you need to be careful that you are faithful or you could be cut off too, has nothing to do with losing your eternal life, nothing like that. It is. Paul is saying, yes, you know what? Some of the branches were cut off from God's purpose, and you need to be careful because yes, that could happen to you as well. All right, and this is in the section about cutting off the branches and and cutting and, and uh, grafting others in. Okay, the point is God is now joining Jews and Gentiles together in the church to form the elect people of God, so that we can be a blessing to the world. And yes, sometimes God cuts off unfruitful branches to make room for others in the hopes that maybe even some of those who were cut off could be grafted back in. So that's Romans 9, 10, and 11. All right, uh, the, the summary here is God's plan did not fail. Okay? It simply transitioned. God simply transitioned from one group, Israel, to another, the church. So that the second group, the church, could be a blessing to the first, Israel, and ultimately to the entire world. And that comes full circle back around to what Paul said in Romans chapter 8. God's plans can't be thwarted. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Especially when it comes to election. God is going to accomplish his purpose and he's going to do it in amazingly creative ways. So look, that's sort of briefly how to understand Romans 9 and the doctrine of election. And really, we got a a brief summary of the entire book of Romans as a whole there. Bottom line to remember, look, salvation is not about receiving eternal life so that we can go to heaven when we die. That is part of the gospel, uh, uh, eternal life, so we can go to heaven when we die, but that's not what salvation is. Salvation is about deliverance from wrath, deliverance from the devastating consequences of sin in our life now. And One of the devastating consequences of sin is that we might lose out on accomplishing some of what God wants us to accomplish in this world. But as we live faithfully, then God will continue to prune us and tend us and take care of us so that we can bear fruit in his purpose and for his services. Again, I talk an awful lot more about this in my book, The Rejustification of God. You can get that on Amazon. It's also available on Apple Books, uh, Kobo, Barnes & Noble, uh, Google Play, pretty much anywhere books are sold. And uh, I also talk about this some in my online course, the Gospel Dictionary. It's a $300 course. Don't pay that. Just join the online discipleship group, and then you can take all of my courses for free, okay, once you join the discipleship group. So uh, I talk about election in there and wrath and salvation and a lot of the other concepts that we discussed today. Hey, thank you so much for listening. Hope you appreciated and enjoyed this study. If you did, make sure you invite others to subscribe and listen to the One Verse podcast as well, or even to get that book. You can even do a study on it with a group of people, uh, and that would be great as well. Hey, thank you, and um, we will see you next week. We are going to look next week at Ephesians chapter 1, which is another controversial passage about predestination and election. And then after that, I'm going to try to interview Sean Lazar, who wrote another great book on election called Chosen to Serve. So make sure you join us for both of those podcast episodes as well. See you then. Okay, bye.